Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, friends, and welcome to a Friday edition of the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I'm your host, Jamie, and gosh, I'm glad you're here. We have made it to the end of January, the very last Friday, and we are starting this month off of 2022 with a bang. I've loved every single show that we've had this month. They have all been so fabulous. Now, today, our show is a little bit different for you. This is an old interview that I'm bringing you, and I hope that's okay. I think you're going to love it. In 2018, I released my very first book called If You Only Knew. And If You Only Knew was my story. It was my story of finding freedom in Jesus. It was a story of showing women and men that we can overcome shame because shame is not from God. And I released this book into the world. And I like to say that if God only let me write one book, and thankfully he hasn't, I've written a handful since then. But if he only gave me one book, this would have been it. It was so special to me. And it was a really great experience of putting that out into the world. Well, we're celebrating because on Sunday, January 30th, this book turns four years old at being out into the world. And I still get comments from people all the time that they read this book and that it was encouraging to them. I love it when I hear, you know, young women and college girls tell me they read this book and also women my age in their 40s and 50s going, this really meant so much to me. So today we're releasing two interviews that we did in 2018 to go along with the release of this book. We did a mini series called If You Only Knew, and I invited friends to come on and tell their If You Only Knew, like, what is it? What is that thing for you that you're worried if people knew that they would think bad about you or they would think less of you? And so my friend Heather McFadden comes on and she talks about her struggle with anger and the steps that she took to overcome it. She struggled a lot with anger towards her children while in the midst of writing her blog, God-Centered Mom, and her podcast that she has now. And she just released a book last year and it's so great. But she talks about the shame of what she was feeling behind closed doors. And she talks about the moment that she realized that it wasn't so much anger that she was dealing with, but fear. And then my friend Lisa Whittle, who's also been on the show before, dear friend of mine, she opens up with about her struggle with shopping. She wanted to eliminate anything that was getting in the way of her and God. And on the surface, it might not seem like a big deal, shopping. But Lisa knew it was a problem because it was what she ran to. She says it doesn't matter if something seems really big or really small. We put sin on a scale. And the bottom line is that if anything gets between you and God, it's got to go. And Lisa talks about that in her story today. You guys, if you only knew, it's usually just the other day I looked at it. It was like $10.99 on Amazon over on our webpage, jamieivy.com slash store. I think we have it for $12 and you can leave a note and I can sign it for whoever you want me to sign it to. I would love it if you wanted to read this book to go ahead and get it sometime this month as we celebrate the fourth year birthday anniversary, whatever you want to call it about this book. 
So here right now is my conversation with Heather and Lisa. And at the end, stick around because I'm going to read some from the book. Okay, Heather, what is your if you only knew? If people only knew that I yelled at my kids, Mm. uh, I'd feel a lot of shame. Yeah. Yeah, that would be it. So, you know, this is, this is, I'm not sitting here going, oh, how could you? Uh, So you're in good company (laughs) with me Um, because this is something that I have struggled with a lot as well. Now you have four boys. I and four boys, funny. yeah, That's a funny joke. four boys is a lot. <laughs> I have three and I will tell you this though, on a side note, I would take four boys over four girls any day. So this is what I, yes, hear. this is what I hear. My girl, yeah. mm-hmm. I love her and I'm so happy. And you know, God does families the way he thinks best, but girls bring drama, but that's a side note, <laughs> but let's talk about this because was this something that you kind of have for a while? I'm assuming now, since you're telling me on a podcast that you now are okay with talking about it, but what was this like for you when you were afraid to say, Hey, I struggle with being angry with my kids. I think for me, the core of it was um, a wrong belief about anger. So for me, if I look back, I was not an angry person, like growing up teenagers, Year, teenage years, college, not, I wouldn't say that characterized my growing up years. I have friends that they would say, yeah, I like punched a girl in junior high. That's more their story. Mm-hmm. So when I got to the second or third kid and I started feeling these feelings that were really strong and then like I'd be pregnant with another kid and have a couple that I couldn't control. Um, and this anger was coming out. I was like, what is this? Oh my gosh, I'm not a good Christian because Christians don't get angry was my wrong belief. Mm. Christians don't get angry. And then people say, well, Jesus got angry. He turned over tables in the temple. And I'm like, I'm not Jesus though. So I don't think (laughs) (laughs) that I can characterize what my anger as righteous. Mm -hmm. There's something else there. And so it was this, like, I'd see other moms and think, wow, they're just so sweet Mm. all the time. I, how do I, how do I be more sweet? And so I'd stuff it down. I am and like I would, nodding you know, in agreement. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, behind closed doors, there was like this anger that just kept growing. Cause that's the thing about hiding these. I love that you're doing this series. The more we hide, mm-hmm. the more it grows and the more shame happens and the more it becomes about who we are instead of what we're mm-hmm. doing. So just over time, um, it grew to the point where after my fourth kid, uh, my husband was working all the time. When I say all the time, he would sleep two hours at night. Um, crazy. All the time. Yes. Yeah, it was crazy. And I had four young kids. Like my oldest was six and a half, which is hitting me the realization of how hard that was. Now that my youngest is almost mm. six, I was thinking, oh my goodness, what was, oh, that is a lot. It's a lot of babies was, in six years. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I had a little bit of an anxiety attack day, like where I flipped out in the drive through for chicken with my husband or or your husband like the overwhelm we just been at church I was trying to hold it all together in my own strength so much and keep this facade at the time I was writing on God-centered mom at the blog the blog and not podcasting and so just keeping up this image of quote-unquote God-centered mom Heather oh my heart is hurting with the story yes yes And then the reality of the fact that I'm falling apart behind closed doors, the tension, it can't hold. It can't You can't survive that way. No, no. And we were running a Sunday school class. I mean, all the ministry outpouring and not a lot of inpouring. And I'd pulled away from community because 
being with friends and their kids was so hard. Mm. Like I couldn't control my boys. So friends would tell me all the things they did wrong, which made me then when we left the play date or whatever it was, get angry. Why did you act that way? Because you're making me look Mm -hmm. bad, which is really not. Yes. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Yes. The thing behind the thing. So it grew to the point where I saw a counselor. I was like, I can't. And even that. But what happened in the drive-thru? Oh, well, the drive through was that I'm like, all of a sudden it comes to the surface and I'm, you know, if no one's had an anxiety attack, you don't know the feeling, but it's like your chest yeah. mm-hmm. feels compressed. You can't breathe. You don't think logically. And I was about to like open the door and just jump out, mm-hmm. like peace out people. Yeah. Good luck with yeah. life. I give up. This is too much. Mm-hmm. Went, you know, got the kids home. I'm sure. I don't know if they even know that it happened because they're they're little, but, um, talk to my husband. He's like, I don't know how to help you. So you were alone (laughs) with the kids. Your husband was not with you. No, he was, he was in the car. He was driving. He was driving. Mm -hmm. Fortunately. Yes. I should set this scenario up a little bit better. Um, (laughs) I see it in my mind. I'm not telling you what I saw. Um, so I, yeah, I was in the passenger seat and it was after church and we were picking up chicken like you do. Yep. And so we get home and the kids are all off playing outside. And he's like, I don't know how to help you. I was like, I don't know how to tell you to help Mm. me. And, you know, he's so overwhelmed with work. Like having a crazy wife is not Mm. top of his list. You know, it's not he he doesn't want a crazy wife. Obviously, Mm -hmm. no one wants crazy in their house. But how do you fix it? So I finally made that phone call to the friend that I had been open enough to me to tell me that she saw a counselor. And then I like took the step of even just, you know, asking for the phone number yeah. to me was a big step. Uh-huh. You give me the phone number of the counselor and then actually contacting the counselor felt like a big mm-hmm. step. So if the guy listening is like, I feel all those feelings, but I don't know what to do. It, it takes a lot of swallowing of pride and of lies yeah. about these things uh-huh. to go to a counselor. And, you know, sh- seeing that counselor was really helpful to start telling people mm. to start. She was probably the first person I would talk about it. So I want to ask you a couple, I want to step in here real quick and ask you a couple questions when you, and by the way, I have like, my eyes are welled up with tears because I've had that moment in the Chick-fil-A where my chest, I thought I was having a heart attack and I just was overcome with life and kids. And I, so I'm feeling your pain along with you. When you called your friend that had been brave enough to tell you that she saw a counselor, Um, which that's a key here is that she was brave and she said things out loud and it actually helped you to be brave. Did you Mm -hmm. tell her, I need that counselor's number because my life is falling apart and I'm angry all the time. I can't remember if I did, but she was a close enough friend that we had had conversations where I was like, this was harder. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if she knew the extent Mm -hmm. that I'd had the like flip out. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a bunch of people probably listening. They're like, Heather, you couldn't have been at Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) That listener is there. We're all wondering Um, what chicken do you eat besides Chick-fil-A? It's the best chicken (laughs) ever. I'm sorry, Chick-fil-A, but Bubba's is the best chicken ever. Um, No, she did know a little. And so that was easier because we'd had those Mm -hmm. conversations. I had those friends, even though I'd pulled away, like I wasn't seeing them with our kids. I was still making time as Mm -hmm. adults Mm -hmm. (laughs) to hang out. Like I could do that. And uh, so when you went to the counselor and you started to like, for the first time, 
kind of for the first time, although you say you had talked to some friends about this, you start vocalizing. There's something that's not right. This, this cannot be how I'm supposed to function. I'm angry. This has come out of nowhere. I'm not an angry person, which side note, children just, they bring sins that were already there. We just didn't know. We never had the opportunity to let them come to the surface until we had children. And so you go to the counselor and you say these things out loud. What did it feel like to start saying, I need help. Um, This is a struggle. Something's not right. I'd say the gift of a counselor is there's someone totally outside of your life. Um, I chose a Christian counselor just because I wanted like godly Mm -hmm. wisdom involved there too. But just to have like a voice that's outside of your life to say, okay, it makes sense. It was so helpful for her to say, it makes sense that you feel this Mm -hmm. way. You're not alone. There's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. The validation Mm -hmm. of, of course you do. Of course you do. And it takes, again, that other layer of shame that's like, what's wrong with me that I can't handle this better? And it's, no, nothing's wrong with you. Your circumstances are hard right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, actually, you know, the counselor was great and it was very helpful. But I would say fast forward two years and I started doing this study on the Holy Spirit with friends and ended up in like this whole prayer ministry thing that's too complex to get into in this show. But with friends, like went before God and brought this. And I thought in our prayer time, we'd be like, heal Heather of all of her anger. Mm-hmm. Like she's mm-hmm. a mess. Yeah. And what God revealed, because I love that he knows my heart better than I do. I love that he's like the crafter of it and the spirit dwells in it. And so he's like right in there with all my mess and revealed to me, Heather, no, you haven't had anger your whole life. You've had fear. Mm. And when I think of the little girl, Heather, my, my little version of me, I used to lay in my bed with my covers all the way over my head as still as I could because I had a window up above my headboard. And I was terrified that a robber was going to look through that window and see me and want to rob our house. It makes no logical sense. But you're a little like, kid. Was, it makes a lot of sense when you're little. little yeah. When you're a little kid, there's a window. You think mm-hmm. a robber's going to get you. There was no possible mm-hmm. way he could. And I'm blank completely still. That's a perfect window to come through right. if you're going to rob a house. Um, if I'm thinking like a robber. Yeah. But that little image of me hiding under the covers was like it's a perfect metaphor for how I live my life. Don't take risks, stay away from anything that could cause you harm, physical harm, like skiing. I stayed away from blues and blacks. I'm like a green all the way. So then it was emotional. Stay away from people that are risky, stay away from situations that are risky. Mm. And when you think about kids, that fear is what grew. Wow. Were you afraid with your kids of like losing control or fear of, okay. Yes. Fear of, it was all the fears, mm. like um, losing control, losing um, th- the approval of others. Yes. So they act out because I have I'm a boys. bad mom. I'm a bad mm. mom. And you're going to think bad of yeah. me. Uh, rejection then comes in. So uh, fear of actual physical harm. They would do things that I was like, what are you thinking? Like you can't jump off yeah. a 10 foot drop at a playground. Mm. And they're like, boys. So of course they're thinking, oh. yes, this is amazing. Amazing. And they're, I mean, and they just got harder, like with each Mm -hmm. one, like their personality wise that God has really been bringing it. He brought it full. He wants to heal me of it. Mm -hmm. So he brought it straight on out. And so to me, and then I recently, so there was the prayer ministry. And then recently I've been going through recovery with our small group, which I say every person should go through recovery. Mm -hmm. This is not like a chemical addiction Mm -hmm. kind of thing. This is just like heart's that need Lauren Chandler talked about recovery on the happy hour and it was okay, really good. moving. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, good. Well, a lady in our church wrote a study, Steps into God's Grace, and we've been going through it. And uh, it's just revealed a lot about messaging I'm telling myself and this fear mm. that I've had um, that I've like let rule my life. But anger, we talk through our feelings every week and anger is a secondary emotion a lot of times. It's a masking emotion for pain. It's a masking emotion for sadness. It's a masking emotion for fear. Um, it's a tool we use to cover mm. up what's actual core feeling. And so if a gal listening is having anger, instead of saying, I'm just going to work really hard not to be angry, I would go before God and say, can you help me see what's behind mm. this? Like there's what's motivating my anger? What's been a more predominant feeling that I've had my whole life? Um, so for you, it wasn't like kids brought anger to the surface. Kids brought this fear to the surface and then it looked outwardly as anger. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. The man, I'm telling yeah. you, this is, this is something that moms are listening are going to relate to, and they may not struggle with it as much as maybe you have, or this has been a struggle for me as well. But I think that we can all see something that kind of comes up to the surface when we have kids, because it kind of, it presses on us. It puts us in uncomfortable situations. We have to, you know, satisfy other people's needs before ours. We have other people that we're responsible for. And so this is really, really good. So you started sharing, and obviously you're on a podcast, so you share it a lot now. Yeah. How have you seen God be faithful to you in the midst of you saying, admitting, man, I am messy sometimes and I am broken and I struggle with anger and it comes from this fear and I need Jesus. You say that out loud, not only to your personal friends, obviously that you've been doing these studies with, but you say it publicly. How has God been faithful to you because of that? He's just been good to bring community in that. I think the more we say it out loud, the less we feel alone. He's brought like amazing guests to the show because I'm, you know, looking out for the other friend who's struggling. And for myself, I can invite people on the show and then get some really great tips and mm -hmm. wisdom and advice. I just think, like I said before, you shine a light on it and it, it removes the layer that I am bad. Mm -hmm. Like I am mm -hmm. wrong. It's more like, I don't, I don't ever want to say or excuse Sometimes you see in motherhood blogs or whatever, it's okay to get angry. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that you're angry. Okay, yes, we should not carry baggage that we're angry. Uh, I think the very first study I, or book I ever saw that helped me feel better about anger was called Good and Angry, if y'all are looking for a resource. Mm -hmm. It made me see like anger is a real emotion God gave us. It's okay to feel angry. But where I was struggling was it's not okay that I act out in it. Mm, okay, like, yeah. That's, that is sin. Like that's sin. I can't justify that and say, it's okay. You're a mom. You're going to get angry. No, there's something else there. And if I kept like covering up and saying, it's okay, it's okay. I would have never dealt with the fear that was behind it. Mm. So I think there's this trick between yes, admitting you're struggling and being okay with the fact that it doesn't identify you at your core. Like you are a child of God first, but to say, okay, but something's wrong here. And that conviction I'm feeling maybe I should do something about. And so it was really helpful to get it out there and to free other people. So they weren't just saying, oh, it's okay. You're angry. Mm. It's okay to feel it, but it's not okay when we use anger to solve a problem. That's good. That's good. And so that is the message behind good and angry. If you want the book, like every chapter is a different reason we might be getting angry with our kids, like a character flaw in them an expectation of us and to get to the real root behind why we're doing, why we're acting out. 
and anger. Okay, well, I just added it to my Amazon account right now. So thank you for that, Heather. <laughs> um, you know, I am every single person that comes on to this little mini series about If You Only Knew, even when I've had people talk about things that I haven't necessarily struggled with, a lot of the things that they talk about around that, I just like, I literally have teared up on every episode because I feel that inside of me, like, oh, I know what it feels like to feel shame. I know what it feels like to be embarrassed. I know what it feels like to worry. What are these people going to think about me um, when they see my kids acting a fool on the playground, you know? And so yeah. that's the reason I love this series so much is because it's not necessarily what it is. Um, right. but it's just us all coming to the realization that, that man, we need Jesus and we're broken and community helps shine light on things. And when we bring things to the table and we get it out there, it can't grow and fester in us. And so, man, thank you for sharing your struggle with us today. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. 
I personally love a good 45 minute hip hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music. Just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Okay, Lisa, what is your if-you-only-knew thing in your life? Uh, so, okay. So it's shopping. It's actually, I struggled in the area of shopping too much. And so kind of, I I mean, I know that's kind of broad sounding, but what I mean by that is, you know, I just found myself just kind of, that was kind of my go-to, right? So anytime I was feeling stressed, anytime I was feeling sort of less than, or like something wasn't working out, or just like I, even like I wanted to pick me up or, you know, usually it was to, to deal with some type of emotion. I would go to this weird shopping deflection and, Yeah. So I kind of reached this place in my life where I realized it it was something that was hindering me from God. And um, that was a it was kind of a long revelation, I guess. I mean, it was it was one of those things when I look back, I think the Lord sort of did the unearthing and the uncovering probably back around 2011, 2012, um, I had just written this book called Whole, which had brought out a lot of stuff. And I was at a really raw place in my life where I kind of told the Lord, like, all right, what else? Bring it. Mm-hmm. Like, show me, show me some more stuff. What else do I need to work which on? That's a scary thing to say out loud. I'll just say that. Yeah, right. That's what I was going to say. When you ask him, he'll, <laughs> he'll usually let you know. And um, so it was weird because then it was like, you know, he began to show me just some really, just some like ugly stuff and some buried stuff. And he began to peel back, you know, sort of like, I don't know, for lack of a better way to say it, like scales from my eyes, Mm -hmm, I guess, and mm -hmm. show me how this thing that seems really innocent or seemed really innocent really wasn't because it was getting in our way. And so I think... I mean, there were several things that happened, right, that were sort of catalyst, but I was recalling some conversations and, and really it took me three years from the time the Lord sort of showed me that to be obedient. And I actually did in 2015, January, 2015, I did a one year shopping fast and Mm. that's what broke the cycle. But I will tell you, Jamie, the reason why I finally decided to face this head on, because what's weird is like with shopping, you know, we women are really bad at justifying and enabling each other with this because we're like, 
hey, you know, I like to shop too. I mean, I like mm-hmm. cute stuff too. You know, it's so we make each other feel better because we want, we, we sort of, we want to make each other feel better. And a lot of us struggle with it too. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to talk about it. And that's one thing I found out in the, in the aftermath. But when I look back at conversations, I realized there were a lot of us that was sort of looking at each other, like somebody help me out of this kind of like cycle I'm in. And what it came down to bottom line, Jamie, the reason why I decided to sort of dive into this is because I wanted to eliminate any reason that God and I would not be okay. Mm-hmm. And that was the, that was the catalyst, man, for me going, I, shopping is dumb. I, if, if, that, if that's getting in between God and I, I don't care whether I have the money. I don't care whether I'm a bargain shopper. Cause those were all my justifications. Right. Well, this is within your means. Well, you can afford this, you know, and you're not going into debt over it. It was like the silent thing, but it was, I wanted to eliminate any reason God and I would not be okay. And shopping was on my way. And when I realized that I was like, I could not, it's like a hot potato in my hands. I had to get rid of, Mm. you know, one thing as I'm listening to you share this, and I think people might think, at least it's not that big of a deal. It's shopping. Like, like I, I don't understand what the big deal is because my thing that I'm thinking that if anyone knew about me, I'd be so embarrassed of is like way bigger than yours. But I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, it was, it was what you ran to. It was what you went to when you were sad, when you were happy, when you, you were filling up a hole that was never meant to be filled up by shopping with shopping. And so I think that that's good to hear your story because I'm thinking people are listening, knowing, dang it, this is me. This is me. So when you started, when you started to feel like, okay, God, I'm asking you, take whatever, show me anything else that's between you. And he says shopping. Was your first reaction it's not that big of a deal? Or did you know? My first reaction, evidenced by the fact it took me three years, <laughs> was it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. So I relate to your listeners. and But here's what I'll tell you. Well, a couple of things. One, it doesn't matter whether something seems very small or very big. We put sin on a scale, right? right? Yep. We're the ones who go, wow, that's a biggie. That one's kind of mm-hmm. smaller. That one seems not that big of a the bottom line is if anything gets between you and God, it does, it's got to go, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so, okay, what's hard about this is like, there are certain things we, we have to have, you know, toiletries, like people want us to bathe and whatever. And so like the shopping gets weird because you go like, well, what level of shopping? The bottom line is like, we have this internal thing. That's why it's called the Holy Spirit. If we're believers in Jesus Christ, that lets us know when we're like, it's a course correction when we're getting way off course. And so, um, you know, I would say that when the Lord began to reveal it to me, it was, I, I wouldn't say it was all at one time. I thought, oh, wow, shopping is my issue. It was just, it was sort of a, it was either a slow revelation or it was a slow like receiver. It was, I'm sure it was on my receiving end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just w- didn't want to look at it, to be honest with you, because that's kind of what I felt like Jamie was like, look, there's a lot of people who've got a lot of vices. Right. Can you give me shopping? Uh-huh. Like, like, you know, and um, I just want to make my house really pretty. And that's the problem was it. I was bargaining. I was like a bargain shopper, too. And I wasn't I wasn't racking up thousands and thousands of debt in credit cards. That's the tricky part of it. But the reality is, is do you want everything to be clean between you and God. And so the things that God is pointing out to you, whether you consider them small or big, you know, that's not really your territory to call it, Mm. you know? 
It's really not. It's yeah. just, are you going to obey the Lord and whatever he asks you to do? And it's not always going to make sense. And if you compare yourself to someone else, I dare say you're going to be worse than some people and better than others. Yeah. And I didn't want to play that game anymore. You know, didn't matter to me whether a million people thought that was silly. I'm sure some people thought my shopping fast was silly, but here's what I'll tell you. I could give you scores of emails and, and texts and boxes from people who said, please tell me about your shopping. Mm, I think it's an issue too. And that's what happens when you're honest with things like that. There's an unearthing and a lot more people than you think struggle with this Mm. in a big way. Well, you know, and I think too, like when we start, you're talking about this, like putting sin on a scale, it does a couple of things. Number one, if you think your sin is just the worst possible sin anyone could commit, then you're super shameful usually. And you don't want to say it out loud. But if you're looking at your sin and you're like, it's not that bad. I'm not killing anyone. I'm not an addict. You know, all of these things, it's super small. I think it gets a lot easier to just justify and sit in it. So they both produce something in us that keeps us separated from God, you know? So what did you feel like? I know you said you, you blogged about this and talked about it. What did it feel like when you said it to a, like a face to face to a girlfriend? Because I'm, you know, I talk about this a lot when I talk to people about sharing their stories is I happen to write a book and you're an author as well. And so we share things publicly. Um, But I'm most certain that we share them personally with our real friends before they ever make it into a book or a podcast. Um, What did it feel like the first time you said these things out loud to a girlfriend? Well, it felt scary. Mm -hmm. I mean, it felt like I was weak. Uh, I don't like to be in a weak position. So that's like, um, I just studied studied the Enneagram. So I'm like, well, that's an eight thing. (laughs) Uh, um, I don't like to be in a weak position. So to say like, you know, I'm struggling to the point that I'm going to have to take drastic measures and go on a year shopping fast. That feels like weakness, man. And I don't really like that. But you know, I think what happens is whatever the sin is in our life. And by the way, what are we supposed to do? Only discuss the things that we think are big. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like right. when you're talking about people, it's like, I love the fact that you're doing this. If I only knew, because I think the little, the things mm-hmm. that we littler are probably the things that we need to talk about more because first of all, sin leads to sin leads to sin. Mm-hmm. Whatever secret is confessor. And that's where Satan can get in there. And, you know, we need to be clean no matter what we think our level is. But I, I, I don't know. It felt it felt scary at first when I told my girlfriend. It felt I, I can remember I was actually thinking about this. My girlfriend who's who went to heaven uh, in 2013, Jen. When I remember the first time we were at the mall, this had to have been in about 2011 because she wasn't well enough to walk around the mall with me in 2012. Mm. She was a she was a shopper. And it was 2011. It was one of her last outings that I can remember going on with her. We were walking around the mall and I said, you know, I'm really praying about something. I feel like the Lord's telling me that I've got some issues with shopping I need to deal with. And I just said it in passing and we just kind of kept walking down the mall. And she was quiet and Jen was rarely quiet. And we were probably, I don't know, seven stores past where we were when I told her that. And she looked at me and she said, hey, about that shopping thing, we talk to me a little bit more about that because um, I'm interested in that. What do you mean? And she didn't tell me at the time, like, I think I'm struggling with this, too. Mm-hmm. But it was like community. You know, it was like all of a sudden when I said it, I was kind of scared to say it. But because she was a woman of strength and that felt vulnerable. But when she grabbed my arm and said, tell me a little bit more about that, I thought, oh, 
maybe, maybe Jen needs to talk about this too. And so it felt scary, but it felt like community. And I know enough to know that, man, we're just all much more alike than what we think. Yeah. If I struggle with it, so does she, so does she. Does she. And I've had that confirmed a million times over since sharing it publicly. I took it public, in fact, Jamie, because I needed the accountability. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't going to talk about it at first. Yeah. It wasn't because it was a shameful place, because I'm pretty vulnerable in my writing and I share a lot of things. But I knew that the only way I wasn't going to like just one day have a cart full of clothes and go check them out was if somebody in my town might possibly see me. Is <laughs> if you put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. So accountability is powerful in a space like that. I love when you're talking about your story with your friend and I, it's something that I hear oftentimes when people have walked through some sort of struggle that they felt needed to be a secret at first, and then they got the courage to share it out loud is more times than none. What they realize is that some, they went first and it gave someone else the opportunity to go me too. You know, like I understand this as well. And your friend was giving you that she was providing you a safe place for you to do that as well. Now, my question for you that I ask a lot of times when people are saying, Hey, here's something I've been walking through is how do you fight that today? Well, first of all, I, I realized that in, well, in that year shopping fast, I, I learned to say no to myself because, mm-hmm. you know, breaking from habits are really powerful because that's, you know, sometimes we just get in these ruts and these crazy frenzies. And that's why breaking fast, you know, just whatever we do to take a breather from our life to get out of that sort of, you know, off the hamster wheel, whatever, out of the whirlwind we're in is powerful because sometimes just breaking and changing helps us do something different. So I've learned to tell myself no, which is really powerful. And every time I tell myself no in a shopping situation, I can, I feel the strength and the power mm. of God. I re- I remember too, that obedience to God is worth any earthly sacrifice. There is nothing that feels like a obedience and an, and an immediate yes to God too is important. I, I, I think the most important thing I have realized in that and the way I, I, I try to have success now is in making a plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, I think, you know, it's funny how, you know, we plan a lot of things, but we want to wing our spiritual lives. We want to, you know, have, we, we want to have success in certain things, but then we, we, we just do it by winging it or we think we can do it by winging it. No, you know, things that are, have had a grip on us, it's very important to make a plan for them not to capture us again. Mm. And so um, in this case, I've made a plan. And so I have a very practical plan. And my practical plan is that anytime I buy something new, I have to donate five things in my closet. Really? Yeah. And it's, it's been really powerful for me because uh, one, it's helped me keep my closet smaller. Now my closet still has plenty of things in it. So please, no one feel sorry for me. Right. <laughs> uh, full disclosure on that. Uh, but I, yeah, I do. I, it's so I have to love it enough, whatever I'm buying that five, that I have to part with five things. So I know that it's gotta be a real, like, it's gotta be a real winner. That Um, is a great plan for you. Yeah, yeah, it is. So that's, that's something to that, uh, that has really been helpful. And, you know, listen, there's, there's 
successes. There's, you know, mm-hmm. there's times that I feel like even right now I was thinking on my phone right now, I have, I follow a, a place on IG that I love their clothes. It's one of my favorites. Their clothes are not expensive at all. So it makes me go, Oh, that shirt's only 35 bucks. I could get that, you know, which, you know, might sound expensive to, to some people, but maybe it doesn't sound to others. But anyway, so I look at it, I'll be like, Oh, I could, I could afford that. And then, um, but I'm like, I really need to take them off my phone because i I like their clothes too much. And so I can feel things like that. Now I hold my account, myself accountable more in those spaces. And so that's super important. Mm. You know, as you're talking through sharing about the struggle that you've walked through, I have thought into myself times when I too have ran to this idea of shopping to fulfill a need. Usually there is also an Instagram store that I love that all you have to do is write sold and your size. And then you just, they send you an email and then you PayPal it and then it shows up at your door and (laughs) it's dangerous. And I have found myself, and this is very convicting listening to you and it's making me kind of press into what's in my heart as well. I have found myself in moments of sadness or stress or frustration, run to that store to see if I can buy anything, to see if it will make me feel better. And so I think even just you confessing and saying this out loud, the way that you have publicly, is just another way that God uses his people to show other people where there might be kind of some missteps in their own heart you know, as to what that might be. And so I'm thankful that you have been vocal about this because it's something that people are kind of embarrassed to talk about. Well, it, it, you know, it is embarrassing. And I, I, because I feel like it, you know, to me, it just showed weakness, Mm -hmm. right? So it was like, I love that you keep saying that because it's so true. And we feel that. Yes. Yes. It's like, oh, what you can't do you can't deal with your stress. Oh, you can't deal with your, you know, and people, you know, I I think people, you know, see me as sort of a strong person and that's great. And that's, I, that's the way God gifted me. But listen, you know, this is the reality of the human condition that we're in. We all have things that we run to and we all have things that we struggle with. And, you know, and I, I think, I think one of the things that has made it so, um, healing for me is to continue to talk about it even when I want it because sometimes I want to cave in and sometimes mm-hmm. I think, oh maybe maybe I shouldn't gone on Jamie's show and talked about this you know what I mean because now more people will know about it but the reality is is no that's what makes it beautiful because only Jesus helps me be better mm-hmm. and you know I, I even like you know and, and I want God uh, when when God was really just uh, continuing to draw me to his side to say I'm the best you want me the most you know, in the very last chapter of that book, I write about sitting in an antique mall and I I write about how I want to make my house more beautiful and it already is. But really what I want is for God to clean me up Mm. and make me more beautiful. But I'm also scared that he will. And so if I shop, maybe I can make my house more beautiful and maybe he won't rearrange me to the point where I've got to deal with stuff. And so, you know, we're a complex people, but at the core, what we really want is God the most. And these other things are just, you know, temporary smoke screens that we grab onto. And Mm. so um, whatever gets in our way, it just has to go. And so we just have to get to that point that I said earlier was, am I willing to let anything get between God and I, or am I at the place where I am ready to eliminate whatever comes between us? Because I'm, I'll be honest with you. I don't want to eliminate any reason God might not bless me in my life. Mm -hmm. And shock is not worth it. 
Yeah. And that's what I found out through this. Uh, Lisa, it's beautiful. And thanks for your vulnerability and sharing because the truth of the matter is we all have these things that we are just scared to say out loud. But you have shown us once again that saying it out loud, um, confessing it to God, confessing it to girlfriends, um, asking for accountability. These are actually some of the ways that God's used to persevere us, to make us look more like him and to get us to the end of this race. Right. And so... Thank you very, very much. Thank you so much. I love being on. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Guys, I loved re-listening to those interviews that we did so many years ago from those two amazing women that are friends of mine. If you want to hear more in 2020 on the book birthday, we also released two more of those stories. So that is happy hour 282. If you go to jamieivy.com slash HH282, you'll be able to hear my friend Ginger and my friend Sean tell their story. Now, I told you I was going to read a little bit from the book. Here we go. I'm going to read the introduction. That's what I'm going to do. It's kind of long. Sit back, relax. And if you get the audiobook, you get to hear me read it to you again. So here we go. I've wanted to write this book for more than 10 years now, but I wasn't free to do it. Too busy? Yes. And no, but I'm not even talking about that kind of freedom. I mean, freedom for a mother of four is sort of a relative term anyway, as far as having any time to herself goes. I'll catch up with I'm 50 or 80, whatever. What I'm saying is that it's taken me a while to experience and taste what I'd call real freedom, to own the story of how Jesus chased me down and rescued me, and how even today he continues to pursue me and to work with me and never seems to grow tired of me or frustrated with me or at the lengths I've required him to go in getting through to me and molding me into someone who I hope is starting to look more and more like him. 10 years ago, I was still too fragile to talk about it. I was still believing so many lies about myself. I was still wearing so many labels, convinced they were all 100% true about me. In some ways, I'm just now starting to trust what his word says about me is far more important than what anyone else might say or think about me. My journey to freedom, it's been a long one and a hard one. And I guess that's why I feel so passionate now about sharing my story with you. Because what I found is that if I'd been willing to grab hold of freedom at any point in my journey, it was right there all along. The freedom of believing that God is bigger, 
always bigger than anything we've ever done and any place we've ever failed was offered to me at every step. All I needed to do was take it, to believe it, to toss everything out, all the shame and guilt and fear, and just walk on ahead with him, the real freedom. But I couldn't seem to do it. I couldn't allow myself to trust him. I couldn't accept that I was actually that forgiven. I couldn't believe he really meant it. And so I stayed stuck in that place of unbelief, certain I was a failure. When in reality, I was completely loved and understood and constantly offered something better than what I was living. That longing for freedom deep in me has been there all along. I don't know about you, but I talk to enough women today to know that this is a place where many of us are living. We're trapped in our past, hidden deep inside our secrets, defeated by our struggles, the sum total of our depressing parts, pretending, not empowered, fake, not free. And if that's you, I'm here to tell you this. You don't have to stay there. You don't need 10 more years like I did to figure it out, to pay for what you've done, to heal enough so that one day you might finally experience the freedom that you see shine from those you admire so much. You don't need to wait any longer on your freedom. A young man we'd recently met was at our house one night. I was out of town and my husband, Aaron, who'd been helping this guy get into a program to start earning his GED, had invited him over to study and to help him fill out some of his paperwork. Let's call him Easton. I always said that if I had another son, I'd want to name him Easton. And since the Ivy shop is closed, we'll use that name here, Easton. He'd had a rough life up to that point. Both of his parents had died, and he ended up being raised by his older brothers who had no intention of pouring into his life or teaching him what it meant to be a man. As a result, he spent a lot of time alone, forced to figure out his own way. And we all know what happens when that happens. He found other people who would love him and care for him. The only problem was that they were more interested in selling him drugs than anything else. Pretty soon, his life began to look just like that of his older brothers, which was the only life he really knew. Some of us go looking for sin. Easton Sin came looking for him. So by the age 14, he was already doing drugs, selling drugs, and basically sleeping wherever he landed at the end of the day. His world became so small, enslaved to an addictive, destructive lifestyle. Then a Christian family interrupted his tragic world, and he began to live with them and go to church with them. And slowly but surely, he began to discover another way to live. The adults in his life were modeling unconditional love toward him. For the first time, he was living around a healthy marriage and caring parent figures in the home. He eventually got a job and began to work to save for a car. Life began to change for him. He was beginning to find freedom from the lifestyle he'd been accustomed to living. But change comes hard. We can still find ourselves resisting what freedom offers. Aaron was working with Easton and simultaneously keeping an eye on our children. When at some point in the evening, a storm rolled in. Rain began hammering the windows, noise, wind, lightning, the whole bit. A big, crazy Texas thunderstorm. Now, what you need to know about our neighborhood is that whenever a storm comes in, especially a quick one like that, all the roads flood. What's more, there's only one way in and one way out, which means if you're Easton hanging around on a night when a heavy rain starts up, you're not going anywhere for a while. In fact, when the rain kept falling with no end in sight, Aaron informed him that he was now a part of the family and might as well make it a sleepover. Having an extra person spend the night at our house is not all that uncommon for us. So Aaron knew exactly what to do. Once they finished up the stuff they were working on, he made Easton a bed in the game room, tucked him in and left to go get everybody else settled down as well. Okay, I'm 100% sure he didn't tuck in an 18 year old, but I can't help but think that a boy whose parents had died so many years ago might actually appreciate being tucked in at night. So I'm going to say Aaron tucked him in whether he did or not, which I'm most certain that he did not. Apparently, the storm stayed pretty crazy through the night. Kids ran to our bed when Aaron was sleeping, asking him if they were all going to die. We might be a bit dramatic in our family, but whatever. 
He returned all the scared Ivy kids back to their beds, but he decided before going back to bed himself to go check on his guest. And you won't believe what he found. Easton was sleeping, but not on the bed. In fact, the bed was still made up just like Aaron had left it. Instead, Easton was stretched out on the ground, no pillow, no blanket, nothing to help him be comfortable, sleeping like a baby. When Aaron saw him the next morning, he mentioned to Easton that he'd popped his head in during the night to see if he was okay and was hoping he slept all right. Aaron said, I couldn't help but noticing. And then he paused. He continued by asking Easton directly, how come you didn't sleep in the bed? Easton laughed a little embarrassed. I don't know, man. I've just slept on the floor so many times in my life that sleeping in a bed still feels weird. The floor was still his normal. The floor was where he felt most comfortable, accustomed, safest. It's what he knew and it's what he kept going back to. Just like us. We don't always seem to know what's good for us. Maybe we somehow feel safer doing life the way we've always done it, even if it's done nothing but hurt us. Maybe we're almost scared of trying anything different. Easton understood this. I understand this, and quite possibly you understand this as well. You'll hear me talk several times in this book about the ladies I've gotten to know at the women's jail in our county. Meeting with them each week and serving them has been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. We're mostly there to help them with job training, interview skills, addiction rehab, encouragement, and other things they'll need on the outside. But if I'm honest, I'd say we're mostly there to tell them about Jesus and the freedoms he offers them. But I've noticed how talking about freedom in Christ with women who are literally behind bars throws a whole new light on the subject. Most of these women will eventually return to the free world. They'll one day be able to walk out of the jail with all its restrictions and structure and schedule. But to hear them talk about what they expect when they get that taste of freedom, they're a little afraid of it. Oh, don't get me wrong. They are so ready to go back home to their families and their lives. Even little things you and I take for granted are the things in their daydreams. I once showed up with a cup of ice water from Sonic. The ice nearly put a girl over the edge. She just wanted ice from Sonic again. But if you listen closely enough, you'll detect a small underlying fear. Being slaves to their drugs, their abusers, their addictions has been nothing but costly to them. But to think of trying to forge another way of life, even a better one, even a life of complete liberation from what's bound them and harmed them and cost them everything is a bit frightening because it's so unfamiliar. They know how to live their old way, but this new way, freedom, they strangely wonder if they're up for it. Although it's really not that strange at all. It's exactly what you and I have spent way too much of our lives doing, living in the old way because it's comfortable, scared of the freedom that Christ has to offer us. Freedom is waiting for my friends who are currently in jail, just like it's waiting for us who currently do not believe it could be for us. Even without the black and white jumpsuit, we all struggle to be free. Yet it all goes back to our stories. Stories that, at first glance, don't feel like they've got any potential freedom at all written inside them. Stories of stupid mistakes. Stories of heartbreaking loss. Stories of glaring failures. Stories of embarrassing, confusing, confusing misdirection. Stories we don't always like to tell. Stories we swear we'll never tell. But the thing that's so unclear about them is that our stories themselves are not what's actually keeping us from being as free as we wish. When seen through the eyes of the gospel, our stories are not obstacles to our freedom. They are actually the key to unlocking it. And that's what I hope to show you in this book. That's when I hope you'll begin to experience right along with me, not 10 years from now, but right now. I believe stories change the world. It's why I want to share my story with you so badly, even though for much of my life, I wanted no one to know my story. But I've discovered something. It's by owning and revealing this story that God shines light through me on his son, Jesus. It's by owning and revealing your story that God can shine light on Jesus through you as well. 
It's by owning and revealing our stories, no longer succumbing to shame because of them, but surrendering to God's promises of what he can do with them, that we begin to experience freedom in every beautiful sense of the word. I know it sounds crazy, like scary crazy, but it's true. I've seen it happen with a story, with my story. The Bible is in many ways a whole book of stories. God could have chosen to make it nothing but rules, nothing but lecture, nothing but sit down and take notes, nothing but drill these concepts into your head. And yet he chose to largely communicate his truth and nature and love and power through the lens of a real life story. If you grew up in church, you could probably tell me your top 10 Bible stories without even hesitating. You wouldn't even wonder if you could come up with 10, but you would wonder how to pick the top 10 out of the enormous number of stories you've heard and read in your lifetime. You might remember flannel boards and vacation Bible school and maybe even backyard Bible clubs where you saw some of these stories come to life for the first time. But if you have no idea what any of these things are, trust me when I tell you the Bible is full of stories of people just like you and me. The Bible is jam-packed with great stories, stories of real people who really walked on the same earth that we walk on. They had good days and bad days. They loved people and disappointed people. The women had emotions and hormones and periods and probably came on with a vengeance and made them crazy for at least three days every month. They most definitely had kids who wouldn't sleep through the night when all their other friends' kids would. The men had egos and pride and wanting to punch something when they were mad. Who am I kidding? The women probably did too, right? The stories in the Bible showcase great decisions being made, like when Mary humbly trusts God with an unbelievable secret. And then they show us a lot of poor decisions being made, like, good gracious, Peter, did you really need to cut the man's ear off? But if I were forced to pick another one of my favorite stories, it might be the one at the end of the book of Joshua, where this heroic leader of Israel reminded the people what God had done for them. Following the death of Moses, God had chosen Joshua to guide the people's conquest of the promised land. And not long before his death, Joshua brought all the tribes together with all their leaders and spoke the words of God to them, laying out the whole timeline of their history in brief detail. He started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, followed by their descent into slavery in Egypt. After this came Moses, of course, who led the people out of bondage and across the Red Sea into safety, followed by 40 years in the wilderness before finally experiencing their promised victories in Canaan. But let's be honest. If you know your Old Testament history, you know that not all of their days had been good days. A lot of Israel's history had been littered with fear and failure, with pettiness and forgetfulness, with pain and loss. The Bible, as part of the proof of its authenticity, doesn't bang the drum for how unbelievably perfect the nation of Israel was. These people God had chosen to be known by his name. Truth is, they fell down an awful lot. And the Bible is hardly shy about telling it. It's not always a pretty picture. But as Joshua finished his speech, he took a large stone and he set it up for all the people to see. In view of everything God had done, despite their many flaws and the execution, they were making a fresh commitment to follow him with all of their heart and soul. This stone of remembrance was a reminder that their God had been faithful to them through their entire lifetimes. And they had promised here in Joshua's final official act to choose the Lord over all the false gods of their past and all the gods of their surrounding culture. Because see, more than anything, these stories in the Bible, just like the stories from our own lives, are not the stories of failure. They are stories of God's faithfulness. When you look at your own story, maybe all you can see are the goof ups, the mess ups, the things you're afraid of ever bringing up. Even the parts that happened this week or this morning or five minutes before you started listening to me read this chapter to you today. But if you turn your head to look at your story just a little bit differently, you'd see it's actually the record of a faithful God willing his unwilling child to return to him, loving you through all your unloveliness. 
His pursuit of you is simply unavoidable. And his desire to set you free by his power to forgive, to put you to great use for him. The sooner we start looking at our lives and our stories in this clearer way, through the lens of a God who has been and will be faithful to us, that's how much sooner we'll be on the path to freedom. Wouldn't you just love that? I think sometimes we go through life so fast that we forget all the ways God has been faithful to us, all of the ways our story has twisted and turned for the good and the bad, and yet... He was always there, always with a plan for every roller coaster ride we felt we were on. That's what this book is for me. It's my roller coaster ride. And I'm asking you to get in the cart with me, seeing your story through my story. This is not just a book about Jamie because for the actual love, I would never expect anyone to buy a book just for that. It's a book about God and his passionate, relentless pursuit of his people. I've written it for all of us as a reminder of what great lengths our father will go to to bring his children into his family and then to keep loving us, even in those times when we hardly act like one of his sons or daughters. I'm not the first to share my story in a book, and I won't be the last. But my hope and prayer for you is that as you read these words, you'll find yourself in them. I pray you'll look deep into your soul and see the things you're afraid of sharing, and you'll offer them to the world as your testimony of redemption and hope. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, then God is using your whole life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to bring himself glory. So let's offer our stories to those around us as a beacon of hope, so that even in seeing how severely messed up we've been, and can sometimes still be, they'll see the one who willingly sacrificed his own son for sinners, just like you and me. Let's not be afraid of showing how much saving we need. Let's show them through our need, the greatness of our Savior. You guys, thanks for sticking around. That is actually the entire intro to my book, If You Only Knew, which released almost four years ago. Thank you to all of you that have read it. For those of you that have left reviews on Amazon, I really, really appreciate it. And if you're looking for something to read in the next couple of weeks, I recommend it. Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you, and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is actually the number one way that people find out about our show because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing. Well, come over and find us there and you can. JamieIvy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie. And I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. 
NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.